0: Welcome to a special UK election edition of Hard Currency, the weekly podcast of the Financial Times on the foreign exchange market. Well, that was a strange old night. The UK has once again got a minority government. The seat of uber-rich Kensington and Chelsea is now in the hands of Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. And hey, the markets now think a soft Brexit is very much on the cards, which probably explains why the pound is not falling off a cliff. What to make of it all? With me, bleary-eyed but full of thoughts and reactions, I have not one but two Forex experts as our guests, Kit Jukes of Societe Generale, Simon Derrick from BNY Mellon. Gentlemen, how are you feeling on this very strange Friday in London, Kit? I could do with some sleep, but apart from that, all good. <laughs> Excellent. Simon? Roughly the same.
1: I think I've been going since about 10 o'clock last night. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Last time I brought you in together was the day after Brexit, which was I had that massive uh, fall in sterling, a so double-digit percentage fall. Uh, what do you make of sterling's reaction to, to this
2: outcome? I think you have to put it in the context of that fall. So um, in October of last year, in the sort of second round of that, we took the trade-weighted... Um, level of sterling against a basket of currencies, the Bank of England's measure, down to just over 73, which was the same level almost exactly as we reached uh, at the end of 2008 after the great financial crisis, uh, more or less nationalisation of the banking system, and in fact was almost exactly the same level as we reached in January 1993, if anybody else can remember that back that far, uh, when we'd... um, Simon? Yes, I can, actually. (laughs) when, When we'd expelled ourselves from the Exchange rate mechanism. So, I mean, as a starting point, you'd say, um, you know, we are now 4% from that level having bounced. I suspect we'll go back there. But the pound is cheap. We've had the big fall on the vote to leave the EU. This doesn't make us unlikely to leave the EU. And the only election outcome that would have made me think maybe there's a dip in here that I want to buy the pound in, is one that either convinces me that leaving the EU could be in some way good for the economy. I'm going to take some convincing on that. Or makes me think it might not happen or could happen in such a way that is really soft. And soft probably means having um, largely unfettered access to the single market, which in turn means granting um, a lot of access to movement in exchange for that in
0: Europe. Uh, uh, Simon, are you convinced by this soft Brexit outlook that the market now seems to have?
1: Since no, this okay. I think it's the simple answer to that. Right, um, I, mean, I, I mean, clearly the the view is that we have a minority Conservative government that is supported by the DUP, which has made it perfectly clear that it is in favour of something no. that is rather softer. But that's two separate parties. It's going to be difficult to see how they're going to be able to align themselves. One of the arguments was that uh, that Theresa May, by going into this election, would give herself a bigger majority and therefore would have greater sway over the backbenchers and therefore maybe could have perhaps mellowed that story. That's gone, though. Those backbenchers probably have greater say in what's happening. So measuring that off against what happens actually with the DUP. There's a lot of potential clashes there. And to simply say this is fine, this is soft Brexit, yeah. that's the way it's gonna go, I think is a oversimplification. I mean the problem I have is
0: not whether we get a soft Brexit, but how the UK actually gets to the negotiating table. It just feels like we're in a Period of great political stasis. Um, a prospect of another election in a few months' time.
2: Well, I guess that we'll probably get to the negotiating table. The, I mean, I think the prospect of another election is, uh, at one level, reduced because if you're the Conservative Party, having seen, really, you know, the the, the rise and the phoenix-like rise of the Labour Party, through this process, mm. you you wouldn't want to have another election for four years for. Love or money, really? You don't have a choice, though. Can't no, but so you have to force yourself into a position. But that—that that I think encourages them to walk down the road with a gun to their head of saying, "We have to go to the negotiating table, see what we can do." Part of the danger that comes with that is that we've got this small minority of backbenchers in the Conservative Party who are less afraid of what you know, going through these negotiations without much of an agreement beyond World Trade. Yes. Um, rules delivers than I am, so I think that. that so I, I'm, I tend to think that the election is is almost less likely because. You know, you don't call them unless you can win them. It might be
0: a less likely election, Simon, but what on earth can the government get done?
1: Well, I think perhaps to to Kit's point, first of all, um, there's two um, uh, votes that have been called in the last 18 months that really didn't need to be called, but they called them anyway and they got the results that they didn't expect. Um, But I do agree. I mean, I I think that the the possibility of uh, an election is... It's up there. We don't know. It could. It couldn't. It depends on internal politics within within the. the the, the coalition or the support pact. But equally, there is the question mark over leadership within the Conservative Party. And just to go back to last year, you will remember, mm. in the aftermath of the period. exit, that yes. July period, yeah. when there was uncertainty <laughs> over Conservative leadership, Sterling did not do well. Yeah. It only stabilised when they got a new leader. And whilst that might not be an immediate issue, you know, two, three, four, five months down the line, potentially given what's happened today, it could become an issue again.
0: There is that. Yeah, and and to to Kit's point about, you know, a a cheap sterling, the the broader context as well is is this market that's got very used now to political risk moments and possibly thinking this latest one is actually we'll take it in our stride if you don't mind. You know, wake us up when you've sorted something out and meanwhile we'll move on to other things.
2: I, I think that comes back to kind of the heart of it, which is that the outlook for sterling over not the next few weeks, but the next few years, is entirely dependent on how you think this plays out in the economy. Now, if you think that we're going to slow annual GDP growth to a pace of under 1% uh, um, in in one of the next couple of years because we've got an economy with little spare capacity, with a lot of uncertainty, with a lot of indebtedness, um, if, if that's your if that's your starting premise, then the uh, the MPC will be looking through any rise in inflation from any further fall in sterling. The uh, European Central Bank will be normalising monetary policy. The Federal Reserve will be continuing its slow path towards higher rates. And, and we will lose the interest rate support. We've already got n- no interest rate support at all in real terms. And that's what could drag sterling lower than this because it's the economy. But, you know, that has to happen. I mean, you know, economists warned in sufficient number, some round this table, that um, that you know that this was going to be bad for the economy, and and we keep on saying you know bad when it happens, it doesn't have to be bad straight away. That was true and is true, but that's where it'll get played in the long run.
0: Simon, is the investment case for investing in Britain uh, weakened by what what happened uh, on Thursday?
1: Well, if you believe that uncertainty weakens the case in the short term, then yes. Yeah, but I, I I agree with Kit that when when we start to look at sterling in that broader terms. Are we at levels that you know, don't start to look competitively priced? Yes, that is true. But I mean, I guess I'd take the view that. You know, if you go back, you know, in that period from the mid nineteen eighties to maybe you know eighteen months ago, was there a natural range and a natural right price for sterling if you like against the dollar somewhere between one hundred fifty and one hundred sixty five? Yes, there probably it was. And I suspect that the folks in Thread Needle Street probably viewed it in pretty well that way as well. My guess is in light of what's happened last year and since then that we have a new range and that everybody intuitively accepts that this is probably a one hundred twenty-one thirty-five world. And can it go out of either side of that? Of course it can. Yes. But naturally, that's probably where the fair price is. And if you think back to the discussion we had 12 months ago, that was the kind of levels we were talking about, yeah. and that's where we stay. It's a
0: pretty wide range, 120 to 135. I mean, help, help me narrow it down a little bit more. I mean, Kit, Kit do you
2: think there's a... Well, OK, I, I think we'll break through 125 in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, I would actually be surprised, um, again, after Brexit, I think we said the same, we'd be surprised if we can stay below 120 for longer than a very short period of time. I still think that's true. Um I so I would think that if we're going to get down get get down there maybe it's in the first rush. I think most of the time thereafter frankly the only way we will get above 130 is on the coattails of a significantly stronger euro. So I don't think I'll see it's one economic Europe Euro. A oh, euro. yes. Stronger Europe, uh, rate hiking ECB. Um, in other words, if if we move back to an environment where we're looking at um, the Fed coming towards the end of their tightening cycle and the European Central Bank normalizing that there's an elastic pulling the euro up towards fair value. They've kept it down at incredibly depressed levels deliberately for, for two years um, since the beginning of 2015. Um, if you start pinging back towards that, that's, you know, 120, something like that for euro dollar or higher. Uh, that it naturally wants to go to. If we go up there, then Sterling will get dragged up, um, and I will see those low levels on the trade-weighted value, which is why I would stress that. That's the only way I think you can dream in your wildest dreams of life much above 130 again in the next few years. Simon, you can go with that.
1: I, I do. I suspect the only difference I'd have with Kit is I think it may just take slightly longer to get down to test that 120 level, um, because I think that it will be a slow process of realizing quite how difficult the political circumstances will be in the second half of this year. But yes, absolutely. And do I think it get much below there? Probably not.
0: What a weird year it's been, isn't it? I mean, there we were worrying about European political risk at the start, worrying about the Eurozone economy. And if we wanted to, put the Europe against the UK, oh my goodness, it rather looks like you're going to put all your eggs in the European basket, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so we had, we had the French election, we had the concerns about the Italian election, which may still come to pass. Uh, there's always the per- perennial issue of Greece, but here we are right now, with an EU that looks far more unified than it's done in a decade, and all of a sudden the UK's become the real political risk. Uh, is,
0: it, is, the, is the UK looking a bit like the sick man of Europe, Kit? too far to putting it too far
2: sick i mean like the silly man of europe yeah. at the moment in terms of because just because the political decisions have backfired the uncertain one we don't know you know i don't want to knock the knock the uk too much it's this was a political decision taken by the people to to decide to leave the eu that, that may or may not be what people want um was always going to have An economic impact. You can't just change your relationship for the worse with your biggest trading partner and expect it not to cost you anything. That's just not realistic. Mm So, um, you know, you get an offset from that in terms of the currency. The concern that we've spoken about before is that I don't know how much the weaker currency helps while I'm trying to negotiate my arrangement with my biggest trading partner. In 1993-94, we got an explosion in UK exports because we had full access to the single market and a big currency fall. Um, we're not in the same position and trades moved away from goods towards services even further since then. So it's not great. Um, and, and and so we do we do look a little bit sickly. Mm-hmm. I think in a currency perspective, the bit that comes at the same time as that is, you know, there are only two countries with big current account surpluses that have managed to have currencies which on anybody's valuation metric are cheap. Japan, and, and the euro, and they've done it. They've done it by focusing a lot of effort on getting them down.
0: Yes.
2: Um, and, and we're going to sit next to a Europe in, in the foreign exchange market, which is going to have to choose between having a really cheap currency and normalising its policy. And that, that's that's possibly a bigger decision for the currency than than okay. than anything we do here right now.
0: Here, here's my bet, gentlemen. The weekend papers, I think, will start to. Talk about the prospect of reshaping the UK's Brexit strategy. And you might hear voices saying or columns saying we, we now need to think about staying in, somehow having an arrangement that sees us staying in the single market and the customs union. I reckon that's what the Sunday papers will do, and if that happens, Simon, what do you think? How do you think Sterling will react on Monday morning?
1: Short term, they would like that, but I think there's a lot of other things that can happen over the weekend. Um, I think that, I think the Sunday talk shows and I think the Sunday uh, papers will be equally filled with analysis of quite where the election campaign went wrong and trying to point the fingers at who it was to blame. And therefore, I think that you've got two sides to this. Yes, there'll be people talking about soft Brexit, but there would be plenty of people talking about leadership as well. Mm-hmm. Add those two things together, that doesn't paint an unambiguous story that's yeah. about sterling strength. Yes.
0: Um, and uh, just, just finally, gentlemen, the you know, sterling is obviously a, you know, a strongly traded currency, but what happens in British politics might make investors think, do you know what, there's just bigger fish to fry elsewhere. Do you see the relevance of sterling being uh, affected by By all all this to and fro, Uh,
2: I don't. You know, you have to distinguish between the importance of sterling as a traded currency, um, and and it's it's very much, you know, it grabs attention away and above our economic significance sometimes because um, because things like this happen. In part, Um, I I do think that you know that there's a job of work for politicians to do to explain to investors why they should be investing here anyway. During this period of uncertainty, you know, there's that. That's why you know the, the, the kind of the political failure is corrosive as opposed to suddenly dreadful. That you know, you, 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 you have politicians making what are exposed um, tactical errors. It, it doesn't encourage. You know, an upsurge in, in investment or an upsurge in house building or, or, you know, it kind of everyone sits there with their mouths open staring for a bit. And I think that's that's the bit that worries. That, that affects the value and affects the growth rate of the UK economy in terms of, you know, the importance of, of the of sterling within the pantheon of foreign exchange markets. I mean it's getting less important as we get less important no, in the global economy, it doesn't change so much. Just finally, Simon, I mean this election
0: sandwich between an ECB meeting, a Fed meeting, those are the things that really matter more to currency investors at the moment.
1: I think in the big scheme of things, yes, you're absolutely right. And actually I think where the where the direction of the Fed goes, not this year, but in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen is becoming increasingly important. So I think actually one of the one of the key drivers of the foreign exchange market this year, certainly as far as the is concerned, has actually been the moderation of those expectations if we're moving towards a fed that's going to be moving ever more cautious pace which is what the fed funds futures are telling us out in late next year and in 2019 and you're flattening yield curve at the same time and we're talking about a falling dollar yet again Mm -hmm. you know so in other words are we talking about the end of the third great dollar rally That's the thing that will matter more than anything else for the foreign exchange markets.
0: My thanks to Kit Jukes of Societe Generale and Simon Derrick from BNY Mellon. So, will Theresa May survive until the next edition of Hard Currency? Join us again next week for another tour of the Forex market. And who knows, we'll be talking a bit more about that US rate decision and the dollar. Join us again for Hard Currency. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable.